Hi and welcome to the St Saviour's Finsbury Park podcast. Our vision is to be a church alive in God's love to serve the city. And we hope this teaching helps you to know God and serve him more wherever you've been uniquely placed. Let's jump in. Again, by your spirit, you would come and speak to us now. Lord, would we be curious? Would we know wonder as to what it is that you're saying to us this morning? Help us to be open to you. And thank you for Chris and for all he's done uh, to prepare this now. Bless him and bless us in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. I've got the, got the uh, Britain Spears today. Um, thanks, Matt. Um, just as a heads up, I did this preach as a practice to end my wife yesterday, and she fell asleep halfway through. So, good luck. Um, in the 90s and noughties, in the UK and in much of the West, you got into political power by playing to the centre ground, the kind of middling masses of people. You had somewhat of a unifying message that played to this group in some way. Whereas now, or at least in the last 10 years or so, it's fairly divisive, isn't it? You, you play to your kind of political base, which tends to be at one extreme or the other, and that kind of then draws in more moderate voters on either side. You either unify, or you used to unify, and really no one was happy because it was this big compromise, or now we have this much more divided political landscape where some are deeply happy, but some are deeply pained. In our personal lives too, we much prefer being in small groups of people like us than people radically different to us. It's easier, isn't it? But it's also actually much less fulfilling. Research has found that there's a positive correlation between subjective well-being and diversity within a society. Greater diversity in a society or in a group actually gives us a greater sense of well-being even though it might seem more difficult at first. True joy and deep unity is evasive. In politics, in our church, in our personal lives too, I know that I regularly slip from joy into discontentment and lean towards my divisive thoughts over those that unify. But what if there was someone or something that could bring both an unlikely unity, and an unquenchable joy? Well, I'm Chris, and I'm not the answer to those questions, but I'm on team here, uh, and it's a real honour, a real privilege to get to speak to you today. Um, We're going to be talking through Pentecost, the journey of Pentecost, um, and we'll be doing some proper exegetical preaching, which I'm very excited about. So we'll be walking through line by line that passage that you heard read before, Acts 2, 1 to 13. So if you've got a Bible or a phone, feel free to open that passage up. Acts 2, 1 to 13, um, but it will also be on the screens in front of you. But before we begin, I just want you to think about an area of your life where you're feeling that strain of what I just described in political terms before, where you're not experiencing joy or unity or both. And just try and hold that, that situation in your head as we go through this morning. Okay, let's begin. So, verse 1 says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So this opening verse sets the scene. 
We're at Pentecost. We're 50 days after Passover. That's what that word means. And we're probably at one of the key festivals in Jerusalem, um, the Festival of Weeks, most likely. And this is essentially a kind of harvest festival. So the Jews are all gathering from the surrounding area into Jerusalem to celebrate harvest and give their, give their harvest to God. The disciples, we're told, are together in one place. This could be the upper room where they were gathering previously or a house. And previously, in the, in the chapter before, they've just seen Jesus ascend and promised to send the Holy Spirit to bring power and the ability to witness. They've had that funny moment in verse 11 of chapter 1 where they get told off by the angels for staring into the sky after Jesus has gone. Um, And they've then appointed Matthias as Judas's replacement in the 12. And they're now waiting. And they're waiting for probably about 10 days. So you can imagine 120 people stuffed into a room for 10 days. Things are getting sweaty. Things are getting messy. Things are probably getting pretty boring as well. You've probably got your super zealous group in one, one corner, praying, interceding, sweat dripping down their foreheads. And these are your kind of worship leaders of today. You've got over here, maybe you've got Peter and a few of his best mates thinking about how do you formulate all those teachings of, and the life, death and resurrection of Jesus into something that can be shared verbally into a kind of preach. These are your evangelists and preachers of today. And maybe in another corner, you've got people sharing those stories with one another, reliving the good old days when Jesus was around. Those are your Bible study lovers. And then you've probably got a large chunk of people who are just playing cards, chatting, eating, maybe gossiping about the newest member of the 12, and probably wondering what they're really doing here. Verse 2 to 3 says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. This scene change is radical, isn't it? You've got this relaxed atmosphere. It's a bit messy, but they're relaxed. There's 120 gathered. And suddenly everything changes. There's a loud noise, there's a wind, there's a fire. You can imagine the panic in the room. In fact, I put this kind of description into an AI image generator, because everyone's using AI these days, and it gave me this slightly overwhelming image. (laughs) But nonetheless, I think it does capture the kind of chaos of that moment pretty effectively. It is quite quite distressing, so I'm going to take it away. The imagery in these verses of wind and fire are really important. So the wind takes us back to the Old Testament Hebrew word ruach, um, which means Holy Spirit. It's used for Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. It's the spirit hovering over the waters at creation. It's the breath of God breathed into humans. And fire as well is also a sign of God's presence. So we're thinking burning bush in that moment. We're thinking the pillar of fire in the desert. So we're supposed to be thinking... God is in the room here, and he's resting on each of them. All 120 have a tongue of fire approaching them. And as an aside, a tongue of fire is a pretty interesting description. Taken literally, it's actually not that helpful, is it? Tongues are kind of a vague, organic, triangular shape, and so is fire. So 
what's actually happening here? Well, I think the link to fire, um, the impact of this link between tongues and fire is what we'll read about in a moment. So verse 4. All all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The tongue word here returns, and this time it's active. So they're speaking in other tongues. So the tongues of fire have approached, and they're now speaking in other tongues. They're filled and enabled by the Spirit to do this, and something miraculous is happening. This casually bored gathering has been upended and suddenly everyone's speaking in a strange kind of way. Verses 5 to 8. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We've got a scene change again here. So the camera, if you're imagining this as a film, the camera kind of zooms out from the room and into the surrounding area. And you see that chaos from the room emanating outwards. You see the people sort of pointing up and saying, what on earth is going on up there in that upper room? I put this into an AI image generator as well and got this. So um, there's clearly quite a bit of work still to do on these AI things. Um, There's lots of people are around in Jerusalem at this time because of this festival. And they start to decipher these shouts that are coming from the room. They notice that they can hear them in their own language, even amidst this chaos. And despite there being a real different array of people groups there. And we get to hear who these people are in the next verses. So verses 9 to 12. Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, not Cretans, as I'm always want to say, uh, and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? So here's the list of our people groups who are all present in Jerusalem at that moment. And if we plot them out on a map, something like this, we can see that it's a pretty strong array of people from the surrounding area. In fact, the list kind of broadly follows an east to west trajectory, if you ignore the last few, which were thought to be afterthoughts or later editions by Luke. So Luke is saying everyone from east to west was there. It's symbolic of the whole earth being present, every nation. It's got a real to the ends of the earth feel about it this moment. And the message is shared with everyone. In a moment where everyone thinks they're coming to celebrate the harvest and commit themselves to God again, God has other plans. Plans for an unlikely unity to emerge. A supernatural unity 
that transcends these language barriers, beginning with the 120 and extending to the whole house of Israel, from east to west to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit brings an unlikely unity here. Verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So at a similar time to this festival of weeks, uh, a little bit later on, there's another festival happening called the Festival of New Wine, the best kind of festival. So the crowd were saying, no, nothing special is going on here. All that's happening is that they've got to the wine ahead of time. But something is evident from this description, isn't it? There's a joy present an unquenchable joy, such that it seems like they're drunk in this moment. They must be. And you can imagine the crowds. Some are sniggering and taking videos for TikTok. Some are amazed and in awe. Some are scared. Some are drawn in. All of them are impacted deeply by the unity and joy that are spreading out from that place. You see, the Holy Spirit brings unlikely unity and unquenchable joy. It's radical, spontaneous. It hits us in the side, catches us off guard, breaks down our barriers. But in the midst of a slow and dreary day in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit bursts in and brings the people of God to life, bringing unlikely unity and unquenchable joy. So everyone's present and they're hearing this, this chaotic and frenzied situation and they're hearing a message in their own language and a message that declares the wonders of God. And this is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in the Bible. The message always exalts God. We see it in Acts 10, 44 to 46, which says this, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The Spirit is poured out and they praise God in response. Ephesians 5, 18-20 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, they are filled with the Spirit, and they sing, they worship, they thank God in response. And in Luke 10, 21, we hear this at that time. Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. So this is Jesus saying he's full of joy in the Spirit and he praises God. He praises the Father in that moment. So the message exalts God. And after this amazing scene in Acts 2, um, where God is exalted, where the Spirit is poured out and where these tongues are proclaimed, Peter comes up to preach and kind of to explain what's going on. And his preach positions Christ as the author and centre of this outpouring. 
Jesus is the culmination of the Old Testament types, he says. He says he's the prophet, he's the Davidic king, he's the Messiah. He was crucified, died, and is now risen and seated at the right hand of the Father, Peter says. And that this experience is now part of the cross-shaped life, the cruciform life that we, as followers of Jesus, are called to live in and to participate in. So when we go through baptism, we enter into the cruciform life of Christ. As we say in our Eucharistic liturgy, this is our story, this is our song. We are in Christ. And so we are crucified with him, our old selves, and we are raised with him to new life, empowered by the Spirit. And part of the fruit of this new life in the Spirit is the unlikely unity and unquenchable joy seen in this passage and also seen amongst those who've been through the same thing, amongst us. And as we saw, it all points back to God, to praise, to worship, to exaltation of God. Francis Chan of huge hands fame, he has massive hands, puts it this way. When the Holy Spirit truly moves, God is the one praised. Jesus is the one lifted up. When the Spirit moved at Pentecost, people knew there was a power present that came from God. That's why they didn't leave saying, John is amazing. They knew it had to be God. When the Holy Spirit truly moves, God is the one praised. Jesus is the one lifted up. So the Holy Spirit brings an unlikely unlikely unity and an unquenchable joy that leads us to God. So what does it look like when we live in this? Well, rather than the division and pain described in those examples at the start, when we participate in Christ fully, and allow the Spirit to work in and through us, in our normal everyday gatherings and in our normal everyday lives as disciples, like those first disciples did when they were caught off guard by the Spirit, what might the unlikely unity and unquenchable joy look like? Well, there are examples right here amongst us. Jane praying a prayer of unity and blessing as she breaks bread with people from across the parish every fortnight, hosting a meal that's open to all and sharing joy-filled conversation. Josh delivering a message to a group of teenagers on a Monday night after football training, telling them they're not alone, pointing them to Jesus, drawing them into community. Congregation members visiting one another to provide comfort, hope, and someone to walk beside them in moments of loneliness and isolation. The Spirit is on the move in this congregation, bringing unlikely unity and unquenchable joy that leads to God in our lives and in the lives of those we touch. And as we begin to enter into a time of ministry together now, I invite the band back up to join me. I just wonder what it might look like for us to fully embrace this message of unity and joy today. And I wonder if there's three groups of us here. I think for some of us, it might be a recognition that actually I'm not participating 
in that cross shape, that cruciform life. And we'd love to pray for you today, to welcome you into this community if you're new, and maybe to walk with you toward baptism as a moment to fully embrace this new life on offer. The second group of you, maybe, maybe you just want to wait and receive the Holy Spirit afresh. Maybe you want to know that joy on offer and know the unity with one another afresh. And for a final group, I wonder if, some, if for some God might be prompting us to live this out more fully in our lives. What might it look like for us to take this unlikely unity and unquenchable joy the Holy Holy Spirit brings into our life today. To point to Jesus when you're around friends, colleagues, family members, this afternoon, tomorrow. Perhaps call back to mind that situation in your life that you thought about at the start of this talk, where there's disunity and pain in your life. How might you bring restoration there as a first step? So why don't we stand um, as the band begin to just tinkle. Um, So if either of those three resonate with you, maybe it's a recognition that you want to step into that Christ-shaped life or you want to receive the Holy Spirit afresh or you want to share this unity and joy with those around you, then I'd really encourage you to come to the front. We'd love to pray for you. Um, at this moment so again if you want to if you, if you want to step into the Christ shaped life if you recognise that this is a moment of saying yes I'm in come to the front I'd love to pray for you